was some discussion a few weeks ago on Facebook. Someone, someone had a bat in their house. Who was that that had a, had a, oh, it was, it was Kim. Kim had a bat in her house. And, and so this was brought up on Facebook, and, and I think everything was kept pretty calm. You know, everything was kind of quiet about that. But, but uh, the, the, we were all enjoying the story of their suffering, you know, at their own expense. And, uh, and we, I was minding my own business, just, you know, I wasn't commenting or saying anything. And suddenly, uh, my wife had to chime in and say, uh, sometime, ask Brett the story about the time there was a bat in our house. And uh, thanks, honey. I, uh, I appreciated the opportunity to, to tell a story and uh, to share that with, with other people. Um, I remember, it's just been a couple years ago, Gracie was getting ready for bed one night, <clears throat> and she came downstairs and she said, Dad, there's a bat in my room. And I said, tell your mom. So I, I very calmly went upstairs. Uh, I, I was, we- you know, was wearing, uh, I put on a hoodie, and I got it really, really tight. I think I had oven mitts on. I don't know if I was going to bake the bat. I don't know what I was going to do. Anyway, so I'm, I'm up there, and I'm looking around, and I didn't see a bat. And I said, you know, maybe it wasn't a bat. Maybe, maybe there was a moth in here. Maybe it was something else that you thought was a bat. I don't think there's a bat. So, so bat, that's done. The very next night, I am, I am sitting in my, my home office, and I see a shadow just start whipping around. I did not want to look at it, because I knew exactly what it was. And sure enough, there was a bat flying around the house, uh, circling the ceiling light. Now, you can make fun of me all you want, but I will tell you, the whole house, everyone was freaking out uh, that night. Now, Trish, um, she proceeded to lock herself and the children in the bedroom and leave me out there to take care of the bat. <clears throat> Option number one was leave the house, change my name, start over again. I thought that was, you know, that was my best bet, but it, that wasn't quite going to work out. I wasn't quite ready for that. So um, I proceeded. I thought, you know, I've got to get the bat out of the house. It's in the living room, and it's circling and circling. But all I've got to do is open the front door and let the bat out. And the bat will fly out. That you know, that'll be easy. You know, once he sees there's an open door, hey, he's gonna be happy to get out. But I had to get to the front door, and there's a bat circling around right there. So I thought, you know what? I will run out the back door, around the house, open up the front door, and then just, just, hey, you know, here you go. So I run to the back door, screaming like a little girl the whole way. Run to the back door, throw it open, slam the back door, head down the stairs, and that's when I realized that we have these safety locks on the doors so Connor can't get out. And the front door is locked from the inside. I will never be able to get in the front door. So I stop him. So I start walking back up the stairs. I grab the door, and that's when I realize that the back door lock is broken, and I can't get back in. I have locked myself completely out of the house, and my family is inside the bedroom, scared, and they, they don't, you know, they're not going to come get me, and, and at that point, it's like, well, I'm just going to leave, you know, going to go somewhere else and wait this out. I won't bore you with the rest of the story, um, but the more, the rest of the story involved a lot more running and screaming, the bat eventually did leave, 
But I couldn't help but think of that story as I was looking at the text we're going to look at today uh, from 1 Peter, because Peter starts off in verse 13 of chapter 1, and he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, preparing your minds for actions, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That night, when chaos hit our home, the last thing that any of us were was sober-minded. The last thing that any of us were was prepared, mentally prepared for action. Now, when it's a bat, it's funny. But when that chaos comes in the form of a phone call from the police, or a phone call from a hospital. When chaos threatens to tear your life and your family apart, what do you do then? What do you do when you can't think straight and when you're not prepared mentally for that kind of chaos, for that kind of challenge? See, that's why we're looking at 1 Peter, because that's what Peter is doing for us in this letter. That's why we're looking at 1 Peter with an eye on how to thrive. What does it look like when we truly live out this faith so that it impacts who we are, when it, how it impacts the way that we face chaos, how we face the struggles, how we find strength, and how we thrive. Because if this faith that I get up here week in and week out and talk about, if this faith that we talk about, if this God that we talk about, if it doesn't affect how I handle chaos, if it doesn't enable me to rise above the mess, then it's not worth our trouble. It's not worth holding on to. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in, in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter concludes with, this is the good news. The problem is chaos, the chaos in our lives can, can overshadow the good news. To truly live this life, we have to step out of our old way of life. We have to we have to step out of our old way of thinking. You know, if, if the typical evening at your house is that you come home from work, that you have dinner with your family, 
and then you go park in front of the TV and you watch TV for a while. Maybe you do some chores. Maybe you do a load of laundry. And then at bedtime, you, you go to bed. If that's your typical evening, that's easy. You can do that. You're ready for that. That's easy enough. But if that routine is interrupted by, say, a flying mammal circling your head, your routine isn't going to cut it, is it? You're going to have to change it up a little bit. You're going to have to try something new. And that's what Peter is saying in verse 13. He says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Preparing your minds for action. It's a great phrase. You've got the old King James, if you're looking at King James. King James is a very literal translation at this point. The King James Bible says, gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> it's imagery that Peter's using. It's it's something that Peter would have done when he was working on those old fishing boats, you know, when it's time to pull the nets in. Everybody's out there wearing these robes, and, and, and if you weren't careful, those robes would get tangled up in the fishing nets. So Peter would take the ends of his robes, and he would tuck them into his belt. He would gird up his loins and prepare himself for action. And Peter is saying, prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. We might say today, hike up your britches. <laughs> Roll up your sleeves. Things are about to get serious. And he couples that with being sober-minded. It's the idea of being self-controlled, of having sound judgment. In other words, you can't go on thinking the way you always have before. You can't go on thinking the way you did before you came to this new life, before you said yes to Jesus, before you found this living hope, this new living hope that we've been given. It won't fit into your old way of thinking. It won't fit in to that. So when chaos hits, it's far too easy for us just to abandon all that we've accepted, all that we've believed, and just go back to our old way of thinking, our old way of reacting. Peter says, don't let that happen. He says, be ready, be prepared for action, be sober-minded. And then he goes on in verse 14, and he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed. You don't fit with the old way of thinking anymore. Sounds really familiar to us. Some of you might be more familiar with Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do not be conformed pattern of this world. When someone's in, a, in an abusive relationship or when someone grows up in an abusive home, you learn what it takes to survive in those situations. You know what I mean? You learn what it takes to survive. You learn what it takes to, to appease the abuser, to keep peace. And so you learn to say the right things. You learn to avoid the wrong things because in that situation, all you're wanting to do is keep that person happy. That's, that's your world. That is your world, the, the world of abuse, and, and, and we conform to it. So in reality, what you do is you, you conform to the abuse. You learn how to keep the peace. We call that codependency because the abuser is dependent upon you, and you, because of your actions, become dependent to the abuser. You want to keep the balance. That's, that is not thriving, right? You get that? That's not thriving. In the same way, Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
former relationship that you had with this world. This world can be abusive, even at its healthiest. Even at its healthiest, all you can really learn to do in this world is survive. And so we come into this new relationship with this God, with this holy God who promises us unconditional love, who promises us living hope, and he promises us this peace that passes all understanding. But we don't know how to think about that. We don't know how to react to that kind of love. We've never experienced that before. We're, we're ignorant of this. So Peter and Paul, both of them say, you've got to step out of that old corrupt way of thinking. Do not conform to it any longer. Your mind needs to be set not on the system of this world, not on this world's ways. Your mind needs to be set on the hope that we have in Christ. So rather than continuing on in the old way of thinking in this world, we set our minds to action, and we have to step out of our old way of living. See, the problem we have is that people want this living hope. They want to be freed from the futility of this world. They want to rise above the chaos. They don't want to change the way they live. They don't want it to affect their, their fun. They don't want it to affect the way that they live. They don't want to, to adopt the standards of a holy God. The problem is, if you keep feeding that old way of thinking, if you keep feeding it by giving it the things that it wants, by doing the things that it wants, you never rise above it. You never move beyond it. You never get the bat out of your house. It just continues to be there, causing chaos. You never find your heart and your mind set fully on what on the hope that you have in Christ. This is the part where some of you will say I lied to you last week when I told you it's not about trying. It's not about trying, but it's not me that lied to you. It's, it's people out there who are selling a, a cheap form of grace. People are out there selling a cheap form of grace that has no requirements, a cheap form of grace that does not require you to, to leave your sin, a cheap form of grace that doesn't even call sin, sin anymore. That's a sin right there. It's just a, a cheap form of grace that, that requires nothing of us. So you never move beyond, you never grow Grace that says that God loves you just the way you are, and so you don't have to worry about being good. You don't have to worry about changing your behavior. Is that what Peter says here? Look at verse, 13, or verse 15. Peter says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We hear that word holy, and we don't really, we don't really understand it, and and we come with a cultural bias because when we hear "be holy," we immediately think holier than thou. <laughs> Someone's going to accuse us of being holier than thou if we talk about being holy. At its heart, at its very basic meaning, "be holy" means be dedicated. It, it means to 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 be offered to God. Now, there were items that were used in the temple during temple worship, and they had these cups, these gold cups that they used during temple worship. And, and those gold cups were for offerings. Those gold cups were, were to be used just for worship. You didn't take that gold cup that was used in the temple, that was dedicated to the temple, that was holy for temple use. You didn't take that home to your backyard barbecue. You know, you didn't take it down to the bar and say, can you top me off? You know, that, that didn't happen. That cup was just used for worship 
in the temple. He kept it there. In the same way, you are dedicated to a holy God. You are dedicated for his use, for his holy use. It goes back to setting your mind to action. It goes back to being sober-minded, being self-controlled. If your hope is set on grace, then your standard will match that hope. It will match your mind. He goes on and he says in verses 17 and 18, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Conduct yourselves with fear. We don't want to hear that. We want to hear about love. We want to hear about grace. We want to hear that Jesus loves me no matter what. We don't want to hear about, about fear. But Peter reminds us we are exiles. We don't belong in this world, so don't, don't conduct yourself like you live in this world. You fear Your fear of God, your respect for him, your respect for his holiness and his calling needs to be seen in how you live. Now, I'm going to warn you. Peter writes a lot about that in this letter, and he's going to write a lot more about how to conduct ourselves as Christians, about the lives that we ought to be living. In fact, you go right down to to chapter 2, verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Man, if you thought that sermon on gossip was great, just wait in two weeks when I talk about slander. That one's... You know, yours are going to burn when you hear that one. It's amazing. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. He goes on in verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Do you hear that? They wage war against your soul. Your soul is committed to God. Your soul is holy to him. These passions of the flesh, they wage war against it. You don't win a war by giving in to the enemy. You don't win a war by capitulating and saying, it doesn't matter how I live, it doesn't matter what I do, God's going to love me anyway. That's not how you win the war. Chapter 4, he goes on and he says in verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. In other words, grow up. You're done living like the Gentiles. That time is in the past. We're not going to go back to living like everyone else. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawful idolatry. And with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join in with them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you They're surprised that you don't want to go along with them. They're surprised that you don't want to go to these parties with them, that you don't want to do the things that they do, and they they make fun of you. You know, they think you're too good for them. They make fun of you. The key isn't, you think you're better than me? The key isn't, you better be good or God's going to send you to hell. The key is, you're not living like this world anymore. Your hope is not in this world anymore, so stop going back to the things of this world. Your hope is found in a holy God, so live like you're holy. Be dedicated to him as he's dedicated to you. Your hope is set on an inheritance 
that you will receive from a holy God, so be holy. So with a mind that is set on a new way of thinking, and with our conduct holding us to the holiness that God has called us to, the promise is that we are able to step into the chaos and thrive. That phrase our Bibles translate, prepare your minds for action, that imagery of gird up the loins of your mind, hike up your britches. You know, it's meaningless unless you're actually prepared to do something. It's meaningless unless you're actually prepared to go do something. You know, nobody comes home at night, nobody hikes up their pants, rolls up their sleeves, and lays down and takes a nap. I mean, if you do, you're doing the nap wrong. You know, I, I can help you with that. Nobody does that. It, it means that you're going to prepare yourself for action. You've got to get ready. There is a test coming. Chaos doesn't make appointments, does it? You know, nobody called you up and said, uh, yeah, we'd like to release a bat in your house about 8.30 tomorrow night. Is that, that going to work for you? You didn't get that call. Nobody calls you up and says, uh, you're going to get hit by a drunk driver tomorrow night. Nobody does that. Nobody calls you up and says, lightning's going to strike your property and destroy your farm tomorrow night. That doesn't happen. Nobody calls you up and says, hey, uh, we're going to set your church on fire. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. Chaos doesn't work like that. Chaos doesn't make appointments. You can't prepare yourself. All you can do is prepare yourself for action. Make your way of thinking and your way of conduct consistent with the hope that you're holding on to. And so Peter approaches it as though it's a given. He approaches it as though we've already done this. He says in verse 22, having purified your souls, you've already done this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. I want to remind you again, these, these people were exiles. They, they weren't in their home country. They weren't in their homes. They had had to leave. They didn't have family to take care of. They didn't have the wealth they had saved and and the stuff that they had prepared for, they, all they had was each other. All they had was, was one another. If the Word of God is truly going to abide in you, it's not just about you reading your Bible. It's about you abiding with each other. It's about you being there for each other, being abiding together. Who do you call? Who do you call when the chaos hits? Who do you call when the chaos hits? My, my guess is you call someone who's prepared for action someone who you know you can rely on, someone who is standing firm, someone who is living it out, someone who is strong, someone who, for whom faith is real. The other side of that question is, who calls you? Who calls you when chaos hits? When there's a, when there's a bat in your house, don't call me. I, I will be no help. Do not call me. I, I promise you. I, I, I will not call you either, okay? That's the, I'll deal with my own bat. You deal with your own bat. You know, I'm not going to call you. You don't call me. But when everything falls apart, when chaos hits, when it is unexpected, when it is unscheduled, when it is unwelcome, I want to be the kind of person 
I want to be the kind of person you'd call. I want you to know that I'm ready for that. And, and not just me. I want you to be able to call each other. I want you to be able to depend on each other. Life is fragile. Peter, Peter quotes from Isaiah 40 here. The realization hit me as I was preparing this message for this weekend that it was a year ago this weekend that I preached on Isaiah 40 as a community, not just as a church and not just as a family. We were going through chaos. We were going through a huge loss. We were going through trauma. and We were going through heartache like never before. And God led me in some amazing ways to Isaiah 40. And it's such an amazing chapter. I, Isaiah takes us to a God who is bigger than any chaos, a God who is bigger than any problem we face. Isaiah begins and he says that he tells us that God, he measures out the span of the sky, not just the sky, he measures out the universe with the span of his hands, from his, from his thumb to his pinky. That's, that's the width of the universe. He measures it. Isaiah says he, he measures the oceans in the hollow of his hand. And so when you take your chaos to him, when you take your problems to him, and you take the stuff that has thrown your life into misery and turmoil, if he can do that, and if he can do this, can he take care of your problems? Isaiah eventually takes us at the end of chapter 40 to that verse that we absolutely love, and those moments when we, when we cannot stand up on our own, those moments when we can't walk, when we can't even crawl, Isaiah reminds us, they that wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run, not grow weary. They will walk, and they will not faint. But before he takes us to that, he reminds us that life is hard, life is fragile, and that we are weak. He says there in verses 24 and 25, quoting from Isaiah 40, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, word of the Lord remains forever. This is good news to the saints. It's not just good news here. It's good news here. It's good news because you have people in your life who have something very solid, who have a solid foundation that they stand on. They can help you thrive in chaos. Peter says this is good news. He does not say this is good advice. You know, I hope you never hear what I say to you as good advice. I don't have any good advice for you at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't want you to think of the things that I say as, as good advice. I don't want to stand up here and say, you know this Jesus thing I talk about? Well, it worked for me. Uh, take it or leave it. Do with it what you will. Give it a shot. If you're going through some rough times, try it out. That's, that's my advice. Not good advice good news. Jesus Christ has come. He has given his life so that we can have life abundantly. Not just in the good times, but also in the chaos, in the rough stuff. This is good news, and you desperately need it. You might even need it this week. How many times have I said it? Everybody gets one bad day. That one bad day is not scheduled. That one bad day is not expected. It just shows up when it shows up. You've got to be ready. Peter says, for 
prepare your mind for action. Pack up your britches. <laughs> Things are about to get serious. Don't just do it for yourself. Do it for those other people. Do it for those people who need you the most. The one that you need the most. We're going to sing a song here. Today, I don't know what chaos you've brought. <laughs> I don't know what chaos might be coming this week. I know one thing that we all need our Lord and our Savior. We need the one who has given us this living hope. You need him today. We want to give you a chance to, to come to him. We're going to stand and sing. We want to pray with you if we need to. Stand again.